Hello, friends. Welcome to Gratitude, a podcast about love, resilience, empathy, compassion, hope, and wisdom, all tied in one. I'm your host, Chris Atageka. I'm an engineer, a TED speaker, and an entrepreneur. Each week, we invite inspiring, successful guests to share stories that celebrate, reflect on, and give gratitude to people in their lives, past and present, whose shoulders they stand on. Speakers also get to share nuggets of wisdom learned from these heroes that fueled their success. Our listeners get to walk away with practical advice and apply it in their own lives. Our guest today is Cheryl Pereira, who is a Canadian multi-award winning children's rights advocate and entrepreneur. As a teenager, she founded One Child, an organization which seeks to eliminate the commercial sexual exploitation of children abroad. For her work, and in particular her achievements at a young age, Cheryl has received several accolades, shared the stage with many heads of states, and this story will blow your mind. As a teenager, she played the main role of a decoy in a treacherous undercover sting operations to remove dangerous pedophiles from the streets. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm excited. I follow your work and uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. So just let's let's just dive in. Who is Cheryl? Well, um, thanks. Thanks for your question. Um, well, I'm, I'm the founder and president of One Child. We're an organization that's about empowering a movement of children and youth who are taking action against the sexual exploitation of children. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm a children's rights activist. I started at a very young age when I was 16. Um, and it just kind of was a result of a high school project. Um, and then kind of snowballed into this lifelong mission and passion and eventually starting an organization and becoming a social entrepreneur as well. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, so the world is going through a rough season right now. Uh, billions of people, including children, are stuck at home. For the unlucky kids who used to go to school as a way to escape or run away from the abuse at home, they're now stuck at home with their abusers. So to the extent possible, share some thoughts and ideas of uh, how COVID and the state of the world right now has affected your work or uh, made the situation that was already bad worse. The pandemic has really intensified the issue of sexual exploitation of children. Um, with many, many children in quarantine, spending hours at home and bored, uh, many of them, of course, go online. And then they're, they're exposed to individuals who might lure them or groom them on social media, on TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat and so on. Um, as you said, Chris, many of these children are who are experiencing sexual exploitation at home or some sort of physical abuse or mental abuse. Um, this is often a precursor to trafficking. And so many of these children, as a result of the quarantine, are forced to be at home with their abusers with no way out. 
So it's definitely increased the the supply of children. Um, and then we're also worried about, you know, as things open up um, and travel um, starts to open up a bit more, um, there will be increased instances of, of sexual exploitation of children traveling tourism. So individuals who are traveling overseas to other countries to sexually exploit children on their vacations. So we expect to see um, a significant increase as a result of things opening up. So it really has created um, an intense need more than ever um, for our work. Wow. Wow. So the abusers use technology and they're also very sophisticated and I think the space where your work and my work intersect uh, around the unintended consequences of these fancy technologies, mm-hmm. um, the, the society, as a society, we are lacking on the response because as technology advance and things get to move forward, the abusers are also thinking up ways and new ways to continue to exploit the technology and move as fast as, as the technology is moving. But as a society, we're not moving as fast to catch mm-hmm. up with them. Um, I recently read from uh, you know, the Canadian Center for Child Protection, uh, and I think you guys have uh, some relationship with how you guys work together. And they did a study on survivors of, of, and, and the trauma they endure um, mm-hmm. long after the, the, the abuse has happened. And it really stunned me. I said mm-hmm. 83% of the people who have been abused have thought about suicide. Mm-hmm. And about more than 60% have attempted suicide. And, they, and a lot of them live in fear as they go about their day every day of a possible repeated abuse. And this is what really threw me off. You know, 30% can be recognized on the street as they walk because someone um, has seen the exploited material online. Mm-hmm. It's just so, so, so hard to fathom. So as a society, what are your thoughts that we need to move faster and catch up with these uh, abusers as they exploit the technology? Mm-hmm. I think really... Um... We need to do it, it. I don't even know if it necessarily has to do so much with technology um, as the solution. Yes, there there are definitely advancements that are being um, done to 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 you know to counteract what they're doing you know on the dark web and so on. Um, but I think there really needs to be education for young people. We need to be able to prevent this problem before it even happens. And the best mm. way to do that is to educate them about how to protect themselves and how to protect their peers. Um, So I think that's really important. The other side is that we do need to focus on the demand Um, and working with, unfortunately, you know, this issue, the majority of victims are girls uh, and women. Um, And so we need to work with young boys, you know, and teach them, you know, about things like toxic masculinity, about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a male ally um, so that, you know, as these as these boys grow up into men, um, they don't uh, they don't fall into this trap of sexually exploiting um, other human beings. So I think those two pieces are are what's been missing for so long. There have there has been a lot of effort put um, in from the tech sector um, to create this this these type of innovations and technology. Um, but I think something as simple as prevention education is so so important. That's what we work on at One Child. Wow. Very, very amazing work. Uh, it's very inspiring. Um, 
So the podcast is also about you as a person. The show is about celebrating and giving gratitude to people in our lives. Uh, you work in such a hard space, but also a space that needs people like you to uh, solve some of these really hard problems in our society. But you as an individual, there's some people who have loved you, supported you, nurtured you, believed in you, that got you here where you are. Um, can you can you share you know your earliest memory of a person or persons that you know you can say these are the people whose shoulders I stand on? Absolutely. Um, when I was 16 years old and I first learned about the sexual exploitation of children, um, when I was researching just for a high school project, I learned about the issue happening in Thailand. Um, and I was just so floored that this, that the, an organized industry, um, could be, ha could be occurring, um, involving the sexual exploitation of children, of, of like an organized trade, um, on the rape of children. Um, and so, you know, I started to do more research. I was so, I was so interested and I knew I, I wanted to take action, but I didn't know how as a young person. Um, and so I started researching and learning as much as I could about the issue and eventually came to the point for me where reading about the children wasn't enough. I want to actually meet the children. I want to hear their stories of exploitation and abuse and asked them specifically what I could do as a young person to help. And so what I really wanted to do was to travel to initially it was Thailand, because that's what I first learned about, and, and travel around the country and do an investigation of, of child exploitation. Um, now, I, I was 17 at the time, um, and you can imagine how that would go over with my parents. You know, I wanted mm -hmm. to take a few months off of high school to travel to a country to investigate such a heinous issue. And, you know, my, my, my parents who have been my, my rock, um, from the very beginning, they were the ones who could see that this was something that I was extremely passionate about, that I had a good head on my shoulders and that they raised me well, um, so that I could be responsible enough to take a trip like this. Now they didn't agree on me traveling to Sri, uh, to Thailand, but they allowed me to travel to Sri Lanka, which is where they're originally from. So it gave them that kind of that sense of uh, comfort, at least. Um, mm. But they're the ones who allowed me to take that first step, which allowed me to go to Sri Lanka to investigate the issue, to meet with survivors of trafficking um, and to go undercover as a, a trafficked child myself. Mm, mm, mm. Wow. So your parents are have been powerful, not only being there for you growing up, but even supporting you. Um, when you share that this is my passion, this is my purpose, I'm going to do this. Uh, that's, that's, wow. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just even interesting to think about. Like you, you tell your parents you're 17, you're like, yeah, I'm going to just go into these undercover stings and try to catch pedophiles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> parents are like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm really, really. Uh, you know, curious. You don't really have to share, but I'm curious how that conversation went. But it must have been an interesting, you know, around the table conversation. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously, you've been successful, and and uh, you kind of continue to make waves in the world, and that's how we actually got to know each other. Um, and you've got you come across some hurdles, um, some things not working, and sometimes feeling like you want to give up, but you powered through. So what are some of your 
ideas or thoughts or toolkits you've seen from yourself or even the survivors that you work with that keeps them going so mm-hmm. that they don't break? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think um, in my case, um, the number one, uh, I guess, tool that I had um and I, I've weathered definitely, I've weathered many, many storms in this work. This work is not easy by any means. Starting a not-for-profit um, or a charity is not easy. And then on top of that, working on such an intense, um, difficult issue is, has not been easy. But having um, an extremely strong support system has been very, very um, helpful to me. So having wonderful friends, wonderful family members. Um, now, even in terms of family members, my parents have over time um, volunteered with the organization. Currently now, my mom is on my board of directors. She um, volunteers full-time with the organization. So I've had, you know, somebody to kind of go through those those difficult periods with, you know, having that support system, having, having friends that you can just, you know, when the going gets tough, you know, you have people that can just, you know, who are not even in the not-for-profit for sector or in your sector at all, but can really um, kind of help you forget about um, the problems and help you relax. For me, I also, you know, try and balance um, um, the difficult work that I do with other things that bring me joy, um, like spending time with my with my nieces and I have four nieces and nephews, um, and doing you know hobbies. For instance, I'm really into arts and crafts, and so um, taking the time for myself to just be able to be creative and just do something completely different. From you know working on uh, on anti-trafficking initiatives um, has been incredibly incredibly helpful for me. Um, also, just thinking about some of my role models, um, some of the some of the activists, the star activists that I look up to, um, reading about them and reading about their trials and tribulations and how they overcame it, that gives me the strength to to keep going. Um, in terms of the survivors that I've met. Um, I think, I mean, they've had a lot of help. They've gotten help from others who have helped to kind of undo the trauma that they experienced and to to understand that what happened to them wasn't that wasn't their fault um, mm. and that they actually have, you know, something called human rights. Um, so having, again, those people around you um, who are constantly reminding you of your, your worth and that what happened to you or the difficulties that you face don't define you. Um, and that you that you still have goals um, and dreams. Those are those. That's what has kept survivors going. And even for myself, it's been the same. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's it's very, very, very uh, interesting. But also kind of like for me to think about the hardship and the traumas that people have to live with that go through this this experience. And then slowly over time, try to come up with a, a, a package or a, a toolkit you can fall back onto every time you feel like things are not going your way. And even like you said, reminding yourself that's not my fault. Uh, it wasn't my fault. Uh, mm-hmm. It does. It does help some of the survivors for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so any stories that you share or you like to share of uh, the success stories that mm-hmm. are public? Mm-hmm. Sure. So one of the things that we've done at, um, at One Child is we've partnered with an organization in the Philippines to provide 
rehabilitation and reintegration services for rescue children. Um, so what we do is we have a massive complex in Subic Bay in the Philippines um, mm-hmm. that houses about 80 girls at any given time who have been victims of sexual abuse as well as trafficking. And these children go through, um, through they provide with shelter, of course, but also with formal and non-formal education, vocational skills training, scholarships, um, legal and medical assistance, um, as well as leadership training and human rights training. And so one of the one of the young people um, that has stayed at the center has been someone who has become a, a, a dear a dear friend of mine and who has been involved with one child. Um, and she's she's I tell her story um, when I when I give speeches um, as a story of inspiration of, of, of incredible hardship but also of resilience. And mm. so um, so my friend um, her name is Marianne. And at the age of 13, when she was actually very young, um, her father, basically the only person who had really ever shown her love and compassion, killed himself because Marianne's mother was unfaithful. Um, mm. Her, yes, her, her, Marianne's mother and her boyfriend um, then moved into the home and started abusing Marianne. So she ran away to the streets. And it was there she was picked up by a pimp and brought to um, a a club that was actually called the G-Spot. Now, this club, she, Marianne was under the impression that she was just going to be a waitress. um, And she was told that all she needed was a fake ID proving that she was over the age of 18. Um, She ended up contacting an aunt of hers who actually helped her get that fake ID and Marianne showed up for work and was handed a bikini and told to dance on stage. And so day in, day out, um, Marianne was basically ordered like a drink. So what they do is they typically have um, several girls dancing on a stage. They're all numbered. Um, and a man will order a child like they would order a drink. And um, and then they'll come, the child will come to them, you know, they'll, they'll fondle them. And then what they can do is they can pay something called a bar fine, which allows the uh, the perpetrator to take a girl out of the bar for the night, take her, get, get her drunk, do, it, do whatever they want with her, and then return her back the next day. So this is Marianne's reality um, day in, day out when she was 13 years old. Um, our partner organization in the Philippines, um, they found out about her and uh, some other minors who were working in that bar, and uh, they went to go rescue her. And they brought her to um, this, the, the rehabilitation center, but Marianne was still quite brainwashed. Um, she was led to believe, you know, they, they something called the, what they refer to as the mama-san, which is considered like the female manager of the club. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the pimp, it, it might be considered the, the sugar daddy or the daddy. Um, and the other girls, bar girls and, and, and bar boys that might be dancing are considered family. So they say to the kids, you know, you know, you're, we're your family. You don't, you never had a good family. We're your family. We have your back. And so you don't want to, um, betray us by running away. And so Marianne thinking under this mentality, she, uh, ran back to the bar, but the our partner organization didn't give up. They went to go rescue her again, and they brought her to the rehabilitation center where she underwent intensive, intensive therapy, where she went to had the chance to go to school, um, and she became like a like an older sister um, uh, to the younger girls who would come in. She would you know take them under her wing. 
let them know again that they didn't, that what happened to them wasn't their fault and that they had human rights. Um, mm. She started performing in plays um, on trafficking, um, became, you know, a star, you know, in, in school. Um, she then became a, did some social work for a while and then became a teacher. Now she's a mother and has her child um, and she's doing extremely well. And this just kind of just goes to show, you know, what children can become. Um, you know, they're not, we don't see them as victims. Um, we see them as survivors and that they have the ability. They're so strong. Um, and with the, with the support of the community um, around them, they can, um, they can, they can recover from their exploitation and abuse. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oof, thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah. Um, and the sad reality, man, this is one story of the many, many millions of stories, not just the Philippines, but in, in Canada and in, in the United States of America, in, in, on the African continent, like it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's such a, a very, very hard space, the abusers have to go through um, they got to find so many, many sophisticated ways to cover their tracks because they're mm-hmm. children. Um, so it's very uh, inspiring what you guys do, you and your team at One Child. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so the, um, the, 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 you said your mom and, and your parents have been very instrumental and you feel like you stand on their shoulders. What are some uh, other folks along the way, you know, in college or even in uh, work that you'd say you stand on their shoulders? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say um, one are my friends. Um, you know, they have helped to keep me sane during this crazy um, journey of, of starting a not-for-profit. Um, I've also had many wonderful individuals who have come um, and seen my passion from the very beginning and have said, you know, I want to support you in the best way I can. Um, and so we've had, you know, several volunteers, we've had board members, we've had donors along the way who have been incredible allies, um, who've given their time, their their energy, their money, their, their, their blood, sweat and tears um, to, to support these children. So, and to support my dream of, of this organization. Um, and so these people are, I'm incredibly grateful and um, wouldn't have been able to do it without um, having this team with me. Awesome. So what are some nice or creative ways you, you've taken or you've seen or our listeners can do themselves as a gesture to celebrate and give gratitude to those people? What I tend to do is um, really kind of make note of special, you know, days or moments in their life. Um, and I'll make sure that I write them, you know, a handwritten note, a card, I'll give them a call to say, you know, thank you for, for everything and to make sure that they know how appreciative um, I truly am. Um, in the case of my parents, you know, I, I, I never stopped praising them for, for what they've done. And I let everybody know that I would be, I would never be where I am, um, without their support. Anytime we win an award, you know, in my speech, you know, I will always thoroughly thank my parents and I let everybody know that, um, they have been integral, um, in this mission. Wow. Awesome. We, we are right now going through, um, an interesting season. What does being human 
in this new desirable world that all of us would wish to get into look like to you? Mm -hmm. Hmm. I would say being human um, is being vulnerable, but also extremely resilient. You know, we've seen that with the pandemic. Um, It also means, you know, looking out for one another. Um, We've seen that with, you know, individuals who have been delivering food um, to shelters, um, sewing masks. Um, we've seen it with, with even within my issue, um, the mobilization of the anti-trafficking community to make sure that we provide those supports that we can for, for survivors um, and at-risk children. Um, so I really think it's, it's um, being human is just extremely, you know, it's really about being resilient and being perseverant during difficult times. Right. Awesome. Um, any memorable quotes? from people whose shoulders you stand on or people who inspire you that continue to inspire you to this day? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do remember, you know, <laughs> when I first proposed to my parents um, and said, you know, I would like to go to, go to uh, Sri Lanka and go investigate child exploitation there, um, you know, their initial reaction was absolutely not. Um, but I have a way of wearing down my parents at the point that they actually give in. Um, and so, you know, my mom, you know, could see how passionate I and how serious I was about this. And so um, she, you know, spoke with my dad and said, you know, what do we do? And my dad said, you know, in life, you to be successful, you need to be able to take risks. Um, and so that's kind of what, uh, you know, when that's what they told me. Um, and so that's kind of something that I've kind of maintained throughout my life is like, um, is always is being willing to be a bit daring, willing to do things on the edge, willing to step into the unknown. And that's kind of what's, what's helped me, what's rewarded me in my career so far. So really being willing to, and ready to take risks. Being willing and ready to take risks. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, (laughs) Do you have a book that you like to gift or share with friends or people a lot that inspires you? I I, I like to, one of my favorite books is actually the book that inspired me from the very beginning. Um, It was a book um, about the story of a young boy who started an organization that turned into a massive charity um, against child labor and that was fighting for um, the right to education for children. So this is an organization that was, that was started by a Canadian boy um, and it's grown into impacting millions of children around the world. So it's this memoir a bit um, uh, of, his, of, his, of his life from an early age. And that's kind of a, that's kind of what I like to kind of show to other people so that they can understand my work and see that, you know, I'm not the only one who started this thing when I was so young that there are other young people who are, who are extremely active um, and want to make a change in the world. Awesome. Awesome. Is there a title? Uh, yes. It's called free the children. Free the children. Yeah. And yeah. the author is Craig Kielberger. Craig Kielberger. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Awesome. So what would you say is the greatest gift you've ever received? Hmm. I can tell you mine. Mm -hmm. Mine was unconditional love from strangers. Mm -hmm. That really made it possible for me to be here. Yeah. 
that of course i mean I, and i would say the same thing unconditional love um maybe not from strangers per se but from my parents again like this has been a labor of love not only has this starting this organization running it for now 15 years has been um you know all consuming for myself and for my family they have given up um, their time, their energy, their money, like even our organization right now, you know, work, we work out of my house and we have our staff that come in, they have given up so much. Um, and so, and that's truly because they love me. It's give the unconditional love. So having that from my parents, um, I think is the greatest gift I, I could have ever received. And I'm so privileged. Awesome. That's super cool. And what would you say you value the most in this life? Purpose. Um, I, as a kid, I, you know, I felt frustrated, you know, around the age of 13, 14. And I thought, you know, what is, what is the point? What is the point in life? Um, what am I doing? Um, I'm too young to do anything. I'm too young to vote. I'm too young to get a job. Um, what is, what is my purpose? Um, and so I, I was fortunate enough to find my purpose um, when I started One Child and got involved in this fight to end human trafficking. So for me, um, the most important thing, I don't, I don't think I could, I would be a happy person if I didn't have something that I was working towards and something that I was extremely passionate about. And so um, purpose is really, really uh, extremely important to me. Purpose. Awesome. Um, cool. We're coming close to the end of our conversation. You got any exciting things you got coming up you want to share with our listeners? Sure. Um, we have a few projects coming up. Um, you know, as I discussed before with you, we talked about the need for prevention education. We need um, young people to be informed about how to protect themselves. What are the signs of a trafficking situation? How do traffickers lure children? What do they do if they think they're being trafficked? These are things we need to really empower children with that knowledge. Um, and the best way to do that is through um, schools. Um, unfortunately, schools have not only become, um, you know, school, like traffic children and, and, and at-risk children, um, not only attend school, but schools themselves have become recruiting grounds for traffickers. You have um, older girls who might be under the influence of a trafficker um, who are forced to convince younger girls to enter the sex trade. And they do this in schools. Traffickers hang around schools um, as well. For, for to look for new recruits. Um, and so we think it's really important that we bring this education through schools. And so we're working very, very, very hard to give presentations um, in person and virtual presentations in schools um, to teach young people how to avoid um, being trafficked. Um, we're also working on providing curriculum um, lesson plans and teacher supports so that teachers are empowered to be able to teach the issue of trafficking, go deeper into the issue um, in their classrooms. We're also working to provide training to some corporations that or industries that intersect with trafficking, um, industries like the hospitality sector, um, industries like the fast food sector, where, you know, children, traffic children might go to a McDonald's, for instance, and be there. Um, what, what can those industries, um, malls, for instance, this is another hunting ground for traffickers, what can these industries do to prevent trafficking? And so we want to work with them and provide them with the training to do that. So those are some of the few projects we're working on. So how can a person listening and they want to do something, they want to participate, um, make it happen? Do they connect you with uh, these industries or schools or places where you can bring the curriculum? 
Do they, of course, obviously you're a nonprofit, so people can donate on the website. Um, or, you know, if someone works at like uh, a giant, you know, fast food co- mm-hmm. corporation or other type of company that intersect with uh, children and, and where these tra- uh, potential uh, exploiters hang out, mm-hmm. um, how can they connect with you so you can collaborate? Mm-hmm. Well, they could email us um, at mm-hmm. info at onechild.ca, so that's O-N-E-C-H-I-L-D.ca. Um, they can email us. Um, they can um, send us a message. We're on, um, we're under One Child Network um, on Instagram and on Facebook um, and on Twitter. They can message me. I'm also on Instagram, just under Cheryl Pereira. Um, and we can get them connected, whether it's, it depends on what individuals want to do. If they have connections and they can make introductions to some of these corporations or schools, that would be incredibly helpful. If they want to donate, um, every, every, this, even the smallest amount helps. If they want to hold a fundraiser themselves or they want to do a fun, uh, an awareness raiser, or they want to host a speaker, we have speakers, myself included, as well as young speakers um, who are in high school, um, who, are, who are doing education um, on the issue. And so if they want to have a speaker or have an audience that would like to hear from um, a speaker about trafficking, um, they can also contact us and we can send a speaker as well. So there's, there's, there's several touch points for people to get involved. Wonderful. Awesome. This is so cool. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. We will include the, the, the information and your social media handles in our text as we post the, the podcast. Uh, Cheryl, thank you so much for coming to the show and really, really thank you so much for what you do for the world. The world is a better place because you were born. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And um, I hope our, our, our listeners really um, are able to understand the issue um, of trafficking and to, and to kind of get some tips on, 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 on gratitude. Thanks, Chris. The question to you, our listeners, is this. Whose shoulders do you stand on? Please give us a call, share with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and my team will select one person's story each week to add to the episode. Special thanks to our producers, Isaac Silk and Jen Batty, the people behind the scenes making this show possible. Immense gratitude goes out to my grandmother, Elnor. She is deaf and mute. We'll never get a chance to hear this, but she is my hero. Kara Adams, Ben Isoke, Michael and Martha Helms. These are the people whose shoulders I stand on. And always remember, Happiness depends on gratitude. See you next week.